the thing that carried me was was knowing what I would lose if I started using again with you kids and that that feeling has been my thought every second of every day hey there welcome back to hot marriage cool parents holy moly we're back oh my goodness this is so exciting and we have such big news yeah well i mean it's been a year and a half for us so how could we not have many new things yeah we have a whole lot to talk about but honestly i say we have big news it's kind of more like you have big news doug i know we we relaunched the podcast just for this news kind of actually because doug is going on a journey and um, i've been on a journey he's been on quite the journey we're gonna really long time. yeah and that journey is hopefully coming to an end and starting another new journey which is far more exciting and we're gonna get to all of that of course we're gonna share all of that but as with every other episode of hot marriage cool parents we always want to start off by giving a shout out to our five-star reviewers because truly like it genuinely means so much to us that you stop to take the time to just I mean, we know everyone's busy. No one really wants to stop to leave a review. But those of you who stop to leave those five-star reviews, it really warms our hearts. And honestly, it genuinely means so much to us. So thank you. So without further ado, we ended up going way back to the beginning to find some from the very beginning because they were so encouraging and so lovely. Like when we didn't know what we were doing and you're like, oh yeah, this is a great podcast. We're like, okay, great. Thanks. We appreciate that. Which is like a rabbit hole that you go down because then you start to read every review that you've (laughs) had in the past even I mean we we've read them all but it's just it's like going back through time when we first started yeah and it's It's pretty awesome it's really sweet but yes a a major major thank you for anybody that does take the time and so this week's review comes from bt underscore osmer 1274 who wrote I've been following you since bachelor I'm assuming they're talking about you and maps and I love you guys I love how honest and real you are thank you so much well thank you yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, I guess, yeah, they were talking about me. And it's just so sweet that people, I feel like, I feel like that was eons ago, The Bachelor. But um, Yeah, it was. Yeah. Do you remember on our uh, honeymoon in St. Thomas, we were eating dinner and someone actually recognized you from The Bachelor? Do you remember that? No, I yeah. don't remember that. A mom and the little girl. She had really? like a 13-year-old daughter. Yeah, and they, uh, or maybe she was a little bit older, but I remember that they did remember you from the Bachelor days, and um, they, you took a picture with them and everything. Really? Yeah, on our honeymoon. That's awesome. <laughs> you were, so, yeah. and you've still never ever seen an episode of me on the Bachelor. No, not a full one. Which I, oh wait, did you ever watch? Did you Google me on the Bachelor? No. And see that my kissing escapade with. No, but we we watched The Bachelor together, and I think they had it on uh, one of the moments. Like maybe oh, it was yeah. top ten moments or most awkward moments, like, and like you you were up there. I so, was number one, so most cringeworthy. Proud of, so proud of you, yeah, because of uh, yeah what you went through. Uh, yeah, thanks <laughs> for being amazing. proud. Only a husband like you would be proud yeah. of me for that. Oh, oh I love gosh. awkward. I think it's amazing. I I I well. 
Needless to say, our last episode was a year and a half ago, and it was in December of 2021, and everyone is like asking, why did you guys stop recording the podcast? Like, why? We, we want the podcast back. Bring it back. Why did you stop? And I think the most honest, genuine answer as to why we stopped the podcast was that I was really going through uh, a lot of mental health problems and I feel like it's it's I, it's still scary to say it out loud because there's still such a, a stigma associated with mental health issues like you just are like no I feel like no one wants to hang out with you no one like wants to be your friend because it's like oh I don't want to hang out with a Debbie yeah. Downer well it's almost like a, a label that people put on you like there's something wrong and yeah. which is unfortunate but I think the more people that do talk about mental health and especially getting help through mental health I think will normalize it and make more opportunities available for, uh, you know, treatments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, and also, I don't know. So needless to say, I have a journal entry actually from that same exact month. So our last month that we ever recorded the podcast was December 2021. And that was episode 139. This is episode 140, which is pretty exciting. Holla. Uh, and then in December, I, this was actually no joke, New Year's Eve. It was 12. It's like, uh, December 31st, 2021. I'm a little nervous sharing this because it's like, I feel like I might even cry. Deepest, darkest. Yeah, I'm like already getting emotional. It's just very scary to share this out loud because um, because I know that I've, I have been very much judged from this. Uh, like, you know, no one, it's not cool to struggle with mental illness. No one, it's not fun. No one's like, oh, let me hang out with her, you know. Uh, it's not so, something you can choose. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, but I guess like I'm also like just so scared that people won't like me and not not want to be my friend, which is so ridiculous that I even like care. But of course I care because I'm human. Anyways, I'll read you this journal entry um, from New Year's Eve in 2021. And uh, I'm sure it'll explain why we haven't been on the podcast. Um, So I say, man, I haven't been able to sleep lately. I've actually struggled with this a lot lately. I feel so confused, hurt and almost abandoned. I began really working on boundaries this last year. I had to change something. I have been so burned out and overworked for so long. I've been feeling overwhelmed and anxious since I was pregnant with Hendrix. Actually, I've always felt this way, but it's gotten to a debilitating point and worse since my pregnancy and having him, which is so odd because I wanted him so bad, and I still do. I want 10 more of Henley's and Hendrix's, but yet I feel so depressed and anxious. Um, and then, you know, if you recall, like memo on this, on this note is that, um, I had just been, uh, replaced at Married at First Sight. And what's interesting about that is that, um, so, and I guess to clarify, I, I hosted the show Married at First Sight Unfiltered. Sorry. (laughs) I hosted the show Married at First Sight Unfiltered. And, um, you, I mean, you just, you didn't just host, you, started it like you launched it i mean uh, granted it was the network and the production company but the show was based around you and and you hosting the show but you started with it and grew with it and i really found my identity there you know like i really started to identify myself as like i mean married at first sight obviously gave me my husband and uh like you and it gave me my family and i felt like i had family like just like i felt like that was my family like i don't i've always wanted family and that's why i even like went on the show was to 
get married and I really felt like I could trust the experts and like I felt like like I just was like begging for family and I the producers you become so close with because you work with them you know you're just talking to them all the time throughout the whole day yeah like you just talk non-stop with them and then all of a sudden it all ended and I was and I didn't even know so if you go a couple episodes back there I tell you the whole story about how a, a former cast member reached out and said aren't you supposed to be in LA hosting Married at First Sight Unfiltered I know they're all there right now and that's how I found out that I was replaced as the host for Married at First Sight Unfiltered. And um, that was the first taste of uh, the entertainment business side. Yeah. Uh, and so, carrying on with my journal, uh, I said, Married at First Sight, man, I was just laying in bed thinking how you really can't trust anyone. Like, truly, most of the people I know via the MAFS world are not the kind of people you can trust. Where do you find good, trustworthy people who aren't just out for themselves? When I ask myself that, I can only think of my kids and my husband. And then I'm going, ah, crying. Like, um, and obviously, I never planned on sharing this. but um, And it's not against the Married at First Sight producers. I mean, it's, it's a business. They're, they have a business. And it, I, wasn't, I was no longer serving their need for their business. I should have never taken it personally. This is why you try not to mix personal feelings with business. So hard to do that. Though. It's, it's so, so hard to do that. Than done. I mean, it really is. And I really, really, really love married at first sight for all that it's given me. How could I not? I will forever be loyal to married at first sight. I will forever love certain people in that world, like producers, network executives. Uh, they, they, they believed in something that gave me the best thing in my whole entire life, which is my husband, Doug and my you. children. I love you too. Um, but what I, realized was that, I mean, I'll just continue reading. I said, I don't know if I'm extremely intelligent or just incredibly dumb. I don't know why I think anyone in the TV world could truly be quote unquote good. I don't know why I thought maths would appreciate my efforts more instead of dropping me like I'm just trash. I mean, I tried setting my boundaries. I tried I'm not going to continue to go on uh, at this because it's like so deep and it's um, also like I am under contract, of course, with Lifetime and Married at First Sight. So we're not, I'm not going to continue going on. But um, (sighs) so I think that essentially what happened was I was struggling with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety that was diagnosed and I was being treated for it and I was simultaneously let go of a position that I really found my identity in. It was a dream of yours to to be a host. Yeah. To be a host was truly like, it is a dream of mine still. I one day would love to have my own TV show and I want it to be, you know, really uplifting and positive, like a mix of Oprah and Ellen and Kelly Clarkson and honestly, Hoda and Jenna. I love them. Um, I would love that, but needless to say, that's where I was at that stage in my life. I mean, that was literally New Year's Eve, laying in bed, crying about my life, which is so ridiculous because not going to lie, obviously we read all of our reviews. And so I see some, a lot of one stars, uh, actually most recently. And it was like, Jamie just complains about her life. Jamie just complains. She's not even grateful for all the things that she has. And, you know, that's, you know, I get that. I get that someone could look on the outside and look at my life and be like, wow. Well, that's also the double-edged sword of sharing your information and sharing personal thoughts and feelings and putting your emotions out there 
and why it's so such a, a stigma and so difficult for people to talk about mental health because, and you see it with all of the, you know, the reviews that, or anybody that would, would say that, you know, all she's doing is complaining. Well, she's, she's, she's giving you insight into her mind and she's giving you her feelings and putting it out there because there could be somebody else that's feeling the exact same way. And I applaud you for that. Um, and it's so difficult, you, you know, still even, you know, for me, it's difficult, uh, sharing as much as, as you share. Um, but it's, it's helping people. And, you know, unfortunately that's the other side of being true and honest and, and sharing everything, the good and the bad. Yeah. So, and then of course, when I see that, I'm like, Oh, I, I guess I do come off as completely ungrateful because I am a girl from, trailer park that didn't even have you know truly I didn't I mean I would beg for I mean I would go to school for when they say some kids survive off school breakfasts and lunches I was that little girl that had nothing to eat at home and so I would be so excited to get a bagel and sometimes I would try to sneak two because I was just hungry um but and 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 so I can get, you know, like if you're in that type of a situation right now in your life and then you look at me and you're like, this girl's just whining and complaining about everything. I could see how that's real annoying. I mean, I think that if I was back in my old high school days where I was like scrounging for like food and even early college days, you know, looking through the <laughs> couches and under the couches yeah, for change. Yeah. Just so I could go buy a loaf of bread. I could see being a little bitter towards someone who literally has enough money to, be able to have an, like an investment home, you know, like we just, uh, you know, I'm sure if you follow me on Instagram, you know, we bought uh, a, you know, a second home as an investment home. It's a long story, but yeah, I'd be bigger. I'd be real better at that girl too. So I understand that. I really, really do. Um, but that just goes to show, and this is the most important point. And then I think we should just move on, but that just goes to show that we never know what someone else is going through. And also like money truly doesn't buy happiness. It can buy you a boat. It can buy you an RV that you can take a trip all the way across <laughs> the country with, but it will not buy you happiness. It really, truly won't. And so, um, you know, it comes down to truly, truly, truly being grateful for the things that you have right now. And if you're not happy, even if it, if, even if you're struggling, if you're not happy, girl, you got to find something to say thank you for. Because if your focus is on everything that makes you unhappy, you are going to stay focused on that and be unhappy. And I can say this now, it's, you know, as you just saw my, read my diary a, a year, however long ago, like a year and a half ago, yeah. I was not here, but I've had a lot of therapy and a lot of, so I just take my, my advice because I'm, I'm, I really have come out of that deep, dark depression. I'm so thankful for my husband and my therapist and my, and Diana, who is like my best friend, my sister, my, it's just, I mean, you guys know she's my, technically my assistant, but she has support is so important. I mean, she's like my everything. And then I have, you know, I'm very thankful for the people who've stood by my side throughout all of this, my children, hopefully they have no idea that mommy went through so much because <laughs> I tried hiding it. But um, anyways, thankful for all that. But if you are in that moment where you look at what someone else has and you're just bitter and jealous and just remember a, they're probably not as happy as they seem because you know, people always just show the shiny, nice things, but also be, think about what you, what, just focus on the good things in your life. Like if you're really struggling with that, focus on what you are thankful for. And trust me, more of that comes. And speaking of, you know, money doesn't buy an RV to drive you across the country. Well, <laughs> it did for, I mean, 
not not that it doesn't that it does and that yeah. that doesn't bring happiness we did we went and bought this rv there were happy times oh yeah no it was super yeah it was a it, there it could have been a great time but really what i was doing in hindsight as i was looking for something to make me happy in the midst of this really deep dark depression i mean i was even suicidal and i couldn't figure out how to be happy and so you know, this girl from the trailer park that never had any money all of a sudden had, not all of a sudden, I worked my tail off for yeah, that. Yeah, you worked your ass off. Yeah, but I was saving and saving and saving, and I was like, what am I saving for? Like, I may as well. Not only worked your ass off, but you've made some of the wisest decisions. Like, your your research, the effort that you put into your decisions, the, the way that you weigh out pros and cons is beyond any level that I could comprehend. Because... I would say nearly all of your decisions business-wise moving to Florida, all of these things where, you know, it was a little uncomfortable for me leaving family, but all of those decisions um, like turned out to be the best decisions that a lot of the best decisions that we've ever had as a married couple. Oh, thank you. That means yeah. so much to me because it's scary, you know, making these big decisions and, you know, I do kind of wear the pants, I guess, a little bit yeah. in this relationship because I don't know why, but you tend to just sit back and, you know, yeah. go with the flow and, you know, we'd probably, I don't know, we just don't move forward. I don't know. Like you, you just, and yeah. I'm like, I'm just, I don't have that brain where I can just chill. Like I just am constantly trying to pave a path forward. Yeah. I, I, I do. I mean, a lot has to do with, uh, you know, in environment, you know, how you grew up. I mean, for me, comfortable being comfortable you know was you know being able to sit down and have a, a family dinner finding a job that would give you know good benefits and a salary that was good and uh, a sales position that would give you some extra commission but all of these things that you know you felt safe you on the other hand are a super entrepreneur you have that mindset I recognize that I don't have that drive, not saying that it's, that it's a good or a bad thing. I just don't have that foresight to, to be my own boss or to run an organization. That's all unfamiliar to me, but that comes so natural to you. I, well, thanks for saying that, but I don't feel like it comes, I don't know. I, we're all working our best here, but yeah. needless to say, we went on the RV trip and there's a lot of things First of all, we barely talk about this road trip that we literally we bought an RV, <laughs> refurbished it. Everyone who follows us on Instagram, of course, knows. And even on YouTube, we've shared yeah. a lot on YouTube. Um, Which we have a whole entire uh, video series that's coming out. We've been combing through the the footage and we're going to share it in order which yeah. um you know we'll we'll get to and we'll certainly share as more videos start to come through but we did document the entire oh, yeah. journey and the entire oh, yeah. trip yeah. and let me tell you when when i say that <laughs> Jamie uh makes all these decisions that are right so we neither of us ever drove a dually truck <laughs> neither of us ever set up an RV neither of us ever camped an RV down, <laughs> set up the legs and all the, uh, you know, the different slide outs and let alone the sewer, connect the water, the sewer, and then break it down and then drive, <laughs> drive with it, pulling a big 40 foot RV behind you across the country with two kids. But we did it. But we did it. <laughs> and if we had any time to think about it before, we, we, we probably wouldn't have had the trip that we did. Yeah, it was, you know, and that's, 
that is exactly how my brain works. I'm like, uh, this will be fun. Let's and I was, it. but the truth of the matter is, is I was seeking happiness and an escape from my depression and a anxiety. Distra- uh, I would call it a distraction. A distraction. And you know, if you, you can, you can find those distractions. They don't fix the root problem though. And so I just got worse and worse. I mean, so this is, this journal entry was December, it was New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2021. And then literally four months later, we were out on the road. What I really needed, in hindsight, it's 2020, so I'm not beating myself up or anything, but what I really needed to do was sit down with a therapist and stay stable in one spot and, you know, get some help. But what I did instead was just take my family with my husband. You know, we just went across country and, you know. On yeah. the road again. Uh, you know what? And so we learned a lot from that. And so moving on to Doug's really, really, really big news. Yes. I I do think that um, one thing that did come out of the road trip uh, was, and, and even splitting time between New Jersey and Florida, um, if you're dependent on medication, that proves to be extremely difficult. Um, the medication that I was on, so, and... Um, Shout out to uh, Wifey 101. <laughs> um, to, to that book is a fantastic read, a hot author. Um, but um, thanks. So before we were married, um, I had gotten addicted to painkillers. Um, it was oxycodone, um, Vicodin, Roxacets, um, and that was a, a beast that had a hold on me, like wholeheartedly. Um, and I was a full on, a full on functioning drug addict because that, that literally controlled my day, which was horrible. And, you know, the once anybody that has been addicted to painkillers, so there's, there's medication that's out there, um, to help curb withdrawals, but also to stop the effects of painkillers. So there's this drug Suboxone that I've been on for over 10 years now. Um, what that does is when you when you do take painkillers, it hits a certain receptor in your brain, and that's where you get that euphoria feeling from, the endorphins, everything else. What Suboxone does, and because and, and, once you start to, to utilize painkillers, you gain tolerance to it, and then it leaves uh, the whole withdrawal symptom comes when those receptors aren't filled. Um, and that is the worst feeling in the world. The just going through withdrawal, um, the Suboxone medication takes care of that. It fills the receptors, but it also blocks them. So you don't get the effects of, uh, painkillers, but it blocks the receptors to give you a sense of normalcy. Now, the caveat to that is that's also addicting. Um, not necessarily where you crave it, but because you need it. And if you don't have it, that's when you can start to go through withdrawals. So and this what, real fast, Doug, share, because uh, this medicine has such a hold on him. First of all, if you read my book, Wifey 101, he shared, you know, just about, uh, you know, how he was on it. And um, how, oh, you didn't share about, you just shared that you were once addicted. You, I didn't even know, actually, during Wifey 101 that you were on Suboxone because I didn't find out till I was pregnant with Henley. Oh my gosh. That's like a revelation I just had. 
because you kept that a secret even when I was writing that book. This is how big of a hold, though, that it had on you, is that he didn't even tell me that he was on this Suboxone, which is, and when we talk about stigmas, you know, mental health has come a long way, but (laughs) there is still such an awful stigma associated with addiction. Yeah. And or the label addict, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, but so the so, and I I I don't know if I should go into the whole full story, but um, you know, I I was a I was an athlete at a very high level, Division One baseball. Um, I had professional tryout invitations through high school and then through college. Like that, that was what I wanted to do. I got a scholarship to play baseball. I got to play at the highest division, Division One at Pace University. And um, going through that, going into my junior year, I tore my labrum in my shoulder. So I had to get surgery. So that sidelined me for a full year. Um, anybody that knows about college sports, you can take a red shirt, meaning that you still go to school, but it doesn't count as you can only play four years for the, a college sport. So it doesn't count against you. So you could always make up that year. So I took a red shirt, rehabbed everything, got back, uh, or you try to get back to your, your full self. It took me a full year to get back to the, the level that I was playing at. Um, and then I had a fantastic summer ball. And then going into my senior year, um, I had to, I tore my labrum again. Uh, and thankfully they went into the same holes when they did the arthroscopic surgery, but that was a major, major hit that, that ruined. And, and that's when my college baseball career ended was that I, I couldn't like, I, when I took the red shirt, um, if I were to continue playing, you have to be a full student. So meaning that you have to take 12 credits. Um, I didn't ha- I didn't need that many credits to graduate, but I would have filled those credits in to play baseball. Um, what I'm getting at is I was able to take an online course because I couldn't play baseball um, for the full year. I took an online course to graduate. I think I only had three credits left. Um, and so I graduated after four and a half years. Um, for a while there, uh, I was okay. I was, I still had the mindset of wanting to be a baseball player. Um, so I tried as best I could to, to rehab, work out, try to get back to the same playing. And then I gave it one last effort. Uh, so my brother and I, we took a trip, uh, which started down in, uh, Florida. Um, and I tried out for as many independent professional baseball teams as I could. Um, and that was going to be my last hurrah. Um, so to get drafted from college, you would, you would go to the minor leagues. There's also an independent league where you still get paid to play. It's a little bit of a different type of league than because it's not affiliated with any major league teams. So I don't know how many tryouts I went to, but uh, it was up and down the East Coast, and I contacted all of the, um, the major league baseball agents that I knew that had followed me since uh, high school. Um, I went through the whole thing and it just wasn't enough. Um, and that's when my career ended or my ability to play baseball as a profession ended. Um, so wait, were you addicted to the drugs at that point after your, cause you said after your second surgery, you is when probably should back it up because it was during those surgeries, at least you told me that yeah. you were prescribed these pain medicine, this pain. Yeah, oh yeah. So, well that, yes. Yeah, so that's, you know, that, that's where my, that's where the addiction really started. Um, I didn't know that I had that, that 
disposition or, you know, an addictive type of personality. But that's when I was introduced to painkillers. Was, was through, after the surgery, after, right? after my surgery, yes. And then after that surgery, you still went to go try out up, up and down the East Coast? Yes. So, like, after my first surgery, I took a red shirt. Um, and that was going into my junior year. So I took a red shirt and then I just went back to school normal. I played through the whole entire season that year, um, went away to play college uh, or uh, summer baseball, which I, I lived up in Connecticut for a whole entire summer. We, and it's a traveling baseball team where college baseball players from all over the country, it's in a, a league you get invited to to play. So I did that. Um, during that, towards the end of that season, that's when um, my shoulder started hurting again, and I went and got the MRI, and it, it said that I had a, uh, um, that torn. I need, yeah, the, the labrum was torn again. Um, so from there, um, instead of going for my last year of school, I was able just to graduate early and then rehab my shoulder. Gotcha. And so. I got it because I had a job right after that, uh, too, that I was working. But then I was, you know, lifting and working out um, again. That was another thing. And that's when that's when I started to realize that people would actually sell painkillers like like that was becoming a recreational drug, um, which so was 2005, 2006. I wasn't doing it as as hardcore as um, as what it got to. Gotcha. Um, so it was just dabbling. And again, you're, you're limited to who, you know, uh, that is selling them, uh, or if you have a reason to get them from the doctor. Um, so that's when it really starts to take a hold. Once you find somebody that, you know, that has a regular supply, um, that's when, that's when this dragon takes hold of you. Um, so from there it, you know, it wasn't really until, uh, I want to say, um, I want to say maybe 14, 15 years ago um, was when it just, it, it really got bad. Um, I had been, um, I started working in pharmaceutical sales, uh, selling blood pressure medication um, and uh, diabetic medication. Um, from there, once I got let go from that job, um, which I got a job with another for, uh, pharmaceutical company, um, from there, then I... <clears throat> As I was as I was working with the second pharmaceutical company, and th this is sounding jumbled, so I'm sorry. Um, but during during my one, um, I was working with a company shearing plow, uh, selling asthma medication. So during that time, I was still active in sports. We were playing flag football. We were in a volleyball league. I was playing softball. In one of our flag football games, I tore my uh, Achilles tendon, which is a, a horrible an absolutely horrible uh, injury, uh, which it still affects me today, um, completely tearing your Achilles tendon. Um, that recovery was much longer, and that's really when the painkiller addiction kicked in. Um, having to go through that and uh, afterwards starting to have those feelings of, I need this medication, I need it. Um, Needless to say, it got so, so bad where I was, anytime I had money, it would go to painkillers. My entire day was waking up. If I didn't have any painkillers, my, even while I was working, my, my morning into afternoon was seeing who had them. And then my afternoon to nighttime was trying to go around and, and buy them. Um, it is a very slippery slope when it comes to uh, pain medication and 
I was on full, I, I just fully went overboard with it. Did you steal painkillers from your grandparents? Yeah, so that, and that's what I was getting to. So um, my grandfather, uh, I was working in the same territory as where my grandfather lived. And he had, he always had a constant supply of painkillers. Um, and I would go to his house and, you know, this is where it really gets, it, you know, there's, I try not to live with regrets. Everything happens for a reason, but, um, you know, stealing from your family is, is one of the lowest things that, that in my mind you can do. Um, and that's really when it, it wasn't like, I wasn't in control. I knew it was wrong, but it didn't matter because I needed the medication. Um, and if it wasn't painkillers, it was, uh, it was money. Um, anything that I could use to get my fix from there. Um, now after, after, you know, my whole family knew my friends, uh, staged an intervention, um, which I, I love them for. Um, that's when I found out about this medication, Suboxone. Who told you about it? Um, my doctor told oh. me about it. And, but also too, um, as the painkiller, uh, as this, as it became more popular, um, Suboxone also became popular. So anybody that was, yeah. So anybody that was buying painkillers, you know, you knew somebody that had Suboxone. Um, now my, and, and one of the ways that, that, and, and why it got so bad, um, is none of my friends, none of my family did painkillers. None of them. I didn't tell them at all. Uh, I didn't tell them that, that this was happening. I never even mentioned it. Like I, I moved in with my, my best friend, Tim, uh, and we owned a house together. Um, were you addicted during that time? Yeah. Um, and so as I was going through, I mean, and there were, there were courses, so I would, I would go full on for, I don't know, however many months. And then, um, it would, it would stop. So like, just, just, yeah, trying to get painkillers almost every day um, and, and needing it every day. But also there were times throughout there where I would take a couple months off where I was able to stop. And, you know, when you go through withdrawal, it, you know, you, you sweat all the time. You shake. You are not comfortable in your own skin. You do not sleep. You just roll back and forth. You have to stretch. You yawn. You sneeze. You always have goosebumps it's like it, it's such a horrible feeling to go through withdrawal um and there were times where it got that bad where I didn't have anything and it was you know just trying to get some sleep by any means necessary wh- whether it was trying to smoke pot but I didn't even have money to buy pot you know or going through um I don't even like to drink and I haven't drank in a while but like just even trying to drink to take an edge off to go to bed and then wake up at a normal hour I I was completely just removed from a social life like I I like I was the most social person like I I just loved going out I loved getting everybody together I loved barbecues I loved going out to the, to the bar I loved all of that this as you start to get more and more into your addiction you start to separate yourself from all of that, um, which, you know, it takes a while to come back from. And I, I don't even think that I, I have come back from that. 
at all because, you know, there was so long and for, for so long I was, anytime I wanted to go out, anytime I, I, I was going on a date or whatever, if I didn't have painkillers or if I didn't have that fix, it was a miserable night. And there were some times where it's just, I didn't go out. I didn't go to, uh, I, I didn't go to weddings. I didn't do anything because I knew that I'd be going through withdrawal, uh, or I knew that I didn't have anything. So I didn't feel like I could be as social as I was, um, which is still true to today. Um, you know, I've been sober now for, um, over 10 years. Um, you know, but well, thank you. you. Seriously, Doug, you Um, gotta be proud of yourself for that. And and I am. That is something to be so proud of. Um, you know, there, there gets a point to an addict where you just, you're done with it. Like you, you, you're just over it and everything that comes with it. And unfortunately it takes people longer than others Um, but at some point and, you know, there's group meetings and, you know, AA and, and treatments and things like that, uh, inpatient, an addict isn't going to stop using drugs until they're ready until they are fully done. Just saying, you know what, uh, this I'm over it. Um, what helps those types of people though, is the support that they have around them. Um, my family never stopped loving me. Um, so proud of you I'm really so proud of you Doug because I know this isn't easy I mean my friends and family have saved my life I'm so proud of you Doug you know and a lot of people don't have that Um, I I never, I never wanted to really be outspoken about it. Um, in the beginning was because I was embarrassed by it. Um, you know, it, you don't think of your recovery. You think of all the shitty things that you did. But I also never wanted to be outspoken about it because I don't, I don't know how to help other people. Um, And it may sound selfish, but I I just, I don't, I never, I never really used a, a sponsor. Um, I went to meetings, but I just didn't get anything from the meetings. I was just mentally ready to stop. Um, If there wasn't this drug Suboxone, I don't know how I would have stopped, um, you know, because the Suboxone made it a lot easier um, because it it levels you out um, without thinking of what the long-term consequences would be with this drug or if there are any or how long you're supposed to stay on this drug. Um, when I first started, uh, I mean, this, this has been my daily routine. Um, you start with a certain amount and then you start to, to work your way down. And I've worked my way down, but the the whole the whole point of this is 
when we went on the RV trip, there were, there were days where I didn't know if I was going to be able to fill my medication in time at whatever state we were in. Um, which has also been a struggle for us living in Florida and me having a doctor that would prescribe it in New Jersey. Um, I would have to do a teledoc visit or a teledoc appointment, and then they would call in the medication. So just to clarify real fast, this is about the Suboxone that he's yes. been on. So it's not an easy medication to get. If you can imagine, like, obviously pain pills are hard yeah. to be prescribed. It's a, it's a controlled su- substance that, and, and, you know, it's not... A lot of pharmacies they don't they don't carry large quantities. Yeah, of this. so it's like I think it's a super expensive medication. First of all, second of all, you have to have a certain doctor to to prescribe it for you. Not like many doctors won't even like prescribe yeah. it to you. They doctors, won't even touch it. Yeah, doctors nowadays they have to have a special uh, certification for it, um, and they're only allowed to take on a certain number of patients. Um, me being on this drug for so long, um, I was fortunate to have a doctor that um, that does prescribe it and he would call it in but you know some of the times like I think we were we were going to South Dakota um, from maybe Idaho I I I don't know what it was but I knew I was going to be out of medication and trying to get a hold of my doctor to call it into a pharmacy that's way across the country there's different laws different different um, you know we had to call ahead we were only going to be in a in a place for a certain number of days or even just one day and then we would move on. Um, having to go through withdrawal on that journey would have been hell. It would have been miserable. It would have affected our family and the time that we were having there. Um, and there's been other instances where, you know, my um, I left my backpack at my parents' house one time when we flew back to Florida and we were getting ready to go to Minnesota. And I had to stay behind because I needed to wait until my backpack was shipped from New Jersey to Florida. And it took an extra day. So essentially, like... I am a slave to this medication. Yeah. That's that's what happens. And it's become increasingly difficult to get a consistent supply because once it gets towards the end of my prescription... I get those same anxious feelings, the same anxiety, the same sweats, uh, and, you know, just hoping that everything's going to go okay between my doctor calling in the prescription, the pharmacy's going to have it. Um, and that has just been absolutely miserable. And, you know, it really wasn't until we went on the RV journey and maybe even a little time before where I knew I wanted to come off of Suboxone. Um, and, I knew that coming off of Suboxone, you would have withdrawals regardless. Um, And I think the reason why I stayed on it for so long was I just didn't want to go through that. I, you know, it could take up to a month, uh, you know, just to feel normal. And, and, you know, I, I just didn't think that I would have time for that. And, you know, the Suboxone was my safety net, you know, if it's, if it's working for me and it's getting me through the day and, you know, it's, it's just become another drug that I'm a slave to. And I, I hate that feeling. I absolutely hate it. Um, when, so, yeah, so, so I was going to say recently, right. Is that what you were going to get to? I don't know what were you going to get. I was going to talk about the new doctor. Well, yeah, so that's, so this is our big news. 
So our big news is that my husband... Sorry for snotting on the <laughs> microphone. Uh, so our big news, well, Doug's big, big news. Yeah. So, um, so I found a doctor who is an addiction specialist. And, you know, anytime that you go to one of those doctors, there's a lot of paperwork to fill out. Um, my goal this time with this doctor, my main mission is to get off of Suboxone. Which, can we just stop right there? And, like, can you just, like, uh, like be so proud of yourself? And, like, I mean, you should be so proud of yourself that you've been, you know, you've been through all of this. And some people, you know, my mother is yeah. still addicted, unfortunately. And I love her to death, uh, you know. But, like, you should be so proud of yourself, Douglas. Like, truly. Because some people just don't have that, like, in yeah. them, that inner strength. And it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to see that. It's hard to see that now, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I will have that feeling after. Doug, you should truly, truly be proud of yourself. Like for your, for yourself, but for our kids. <sighs> I am proud of my I am proud of my sobriety for you know the last 10 years um the 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 thing that carried me was was knowing what I would lose if I started using again with you, kids. And that, that feeling has been my thought every second of every day. You know, if things get hard, you know, if you're going to go through depression, you're not going to have, every day is not going to be great. But, in my mind, there is no part of me that ever will go back to painkillers, ever. And it's because I have you, I have our kids, I have my family. And I'm not saying that if I would lose all, all of that, that I would return to pain. I'm just done. I am done. Mentally, I'm over it. This is the last thing that has a hold on me. This suboxone. suboxone. And I've always wanted to come off it, but I never had enough of an incentive. Um, I never had the desire, like full-on desire to completely come off of it. But the move to Florida, the RV trip, um, having those feelings come back again where... If you're using, you don't know where you're going to get your next fix from. Like that, that feeling is. Because to clarify, I, you're essentially addicted to Suboxone now. Yeah. Obviously. If, if I were to stop cold turkey taking Suboxone, like I would go through withdrawals. Um, and it would be full on withdrawals, uh, whatever that looks like for people. Um, well, what do your withdrawals look like? 
So um, for for me, my withdrawals were just constant yawning, sneezing, um, not being able to get comfortable even sitting down. Um, it is a restless, anxious feeling inside you where you're rolling around, you're trying to fall asleep, you can't fall asleep. Um, your body is twitching. Um, you feel like the need to stretch. Uh, you have uh, you have terrible diarrhea. Um, it is awful. You have you have chills that go down your spine. You have goosebumps all the time, um, and everything like you're just irritable about everything and anything. And you're sweating, and then you get cold. Um, then you get too hot and then you get cold and then it's just, you know, some people go through seizures. Uh, it's just, it's, you want to curl up in a fetal position. Um, but even that's uncomfortable. Uh, it's just that it's really terrible. It sounds like hell. It is. And, you know, I, I, I knew that I would have to go through some of that. Um, but um, when I went to the new doctor here in Florida, um, we went over a plan to get off of Suboxone completely. And that is, that is the main goal. Um, and something that, um, that a hundred percent of my heart is into getting off of this medication. I'm so proud of you, Doug. I really am. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah blow my nose (laughs) (laughs) uh no i am just genuinely so incredibly proud of you and i hope that story didn't sound too jagged um i know it might have been tough to follow along but um yeah i don't think it sounded jagged at all i mean i think that jagged is the right word for this journey that you've been on and I i can't imagine and it's so interesting hearing it from like an addict's perspective, you know, quote unquote addict's perspective, because, you know, that stigma, even for myself, I've never been an addict, but my mom has been. And so it's so easy to just call her selfish and just selfish, selfish, (laughs) Selfish and to just kind of like hate on her because it is, she's done so much to, I mean, she's, she has done some awful things to myself and my siblings. I mean, she literally abandoned us. She left us for drugs and, it is, it is, it's a disease. Um, that's one thing you learn through treatment and therapy and meetings. Um, it's, it's a disease that needs to be treated. Um, it's like having high blood pressure. Like it's just, that's a part of you. Um, yeah. And, uh, it's, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to be on the other side, to get to the other side, uh, of that. And it's just, it's, 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 it's been a struggle and, and it's like, you don't, you don't realize how much of a hold it has on you, uh, and on your life and on your day to day. Um, it's just, yeah, it's miserable. Yeah. Well, on a positive note, I'm so proud of you for, finding the doctor thank and for you. having a solution finally, you know, well, like thank you, you for how supportive that you have been, um, with this and not, not pushing, um, you know, not 
demanding and just loving and being there for me. I love you. I really do. And I feel like, like I know in my heart that we were meant to be together. Like that God put us together. Yeah. And it's odd because I, one of my deal breakers was no drug addiction. You did a real good job hiding that <laughs> from the experts. But, um, no, I we told were, them we were, you did. Yeah, I told them that I had gotten addicted to pain medication. Oh, because that was but a I deal was, breaker. Yeah, but I was, um, I mean, I, I had been sober for a while already. Oh, wow. Well, needless to say, I really believe in my heart, mm. like genuinely that we were meant to be together. And if I had known that, though, it's just like it just goes back to say, like, you think you know what you want in a partner and what you what you need in a partner and then you can be so quick to like push that a person away, even not even just a partner, but a friendship, a relationship, yeah. a family member. You could be so quick to push them away, but turns out they're like really everything that you need and want. You know, I don't even know if that makes sense. But like, yeah. I, if I had met you at a bar and I knew your history, I would have never given you a second chance. Not because you're not awesome and everything, but I just didn't want that pain from what what I had with my mom. You yeah. know, like I didn't want to have to deal with that my whole life. Yep. And, and I get that. I mean, there was, um, there were a couple relationships, um, before you and, you know, that, that was, that was the main driving force that it didn't work out. It didn't work out. Interesting. Yeah. There was, there was two, two, two people where that was, uh, that's, that's what stopped the relationship. Well, anyways, I feel like that we are just genuinely meant to be together and you have helped me like try to understand my own mother, you know, and forgive her and try to love her through this because just because you're, you seem so selfish and self-involved and like you're actually just so hurt seeking like a release and, you know, I've obviously never struggled with like the, the addiction, but man, postpartum depression and anxiety, man, that's just lasted for so long. I mean, my son is turning yeah. like Hendrix is three by the time this is released. And I'm just now seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't have to deal with any of that that you went through. So I guess, you know, I guess all that to say, like, thank you God <laughs> for yeah. putting Douglas in my life. And I hope that like, you know, I well, can be truly supportive. You've, you've helped me more than you know. And your support is everything. Well, I will be here to support you and love you throughout the whole entire process of this. I know you're probably... And you, you've told me that a, more than a couple times. It's always good to hear. I know the process is going to be hard, Doug, but I really know that... I got to get off. Yeah. You're going to be you're gonna be strong and you're going to be fine. Yeah. But, like, I will never push, though, either. I really I will. Know. Whatever you want to do. You know, people People change over time. Um, but it, it does, it, it almost seems, it almost seems like, like I'm just such a different person. Before drugs and then during drugs and now after drugs, like like those are three different people. 
you know, and when you get sober, you're so used to going out and hanging out with people, uh, being social and, you know, being the life of the party and, and making jokes or, you know, being the person that says, let's go here, let's, let's organize this, let's do that. Um, you know, I've, I've lost that. You haven't lost it, Doug. You still have it. And it, it, well, it's an adjustment for sure. Um, learning how to get back into social life. It just, that's a process and it takes, it takes a while. But I think being settled here, um, having our, our kids go to school, meeting new people, um, all of that is, has been extremely helpful. Um, it's made it much less awkward. Um, you know, like I would, I would go and hang out with, go, go hang out with my friends or just go to, uh, like a, a party that my friends were holding and people that I've grown up with and have known since I was four years old and just having it feel awkward because not because I'm sober and people are drinking like that, that genuinely doesn't bother me. It's just trying to be social again. You know, when you, when you hide from everything, or escape from, escape from everything. It's learning to get back to being just yourself is a process. I feel like your your self confidence has been taken away entirely. Like it's yeah. been just ripped away from you. Because I I know what you're saying. Like when we go to your friends' parties and like it's, it's tough for me to stay for the whole day. Yeah, like it's tough for me to go to place and then you know like be able to socialize and and stay longer than we should uh before we go home like it's just it's it it takes it takes a lot to get back well you are getting back Doug you've done such I mean it's like night and day from when we first got married to where you're at now and you should be really really proud of yourself for that I'm getting there thank you love you so much i love you too i really got a bummer nose yeah well we'll wrap this up next week we have you know we haven't even had a chance to share we i had this whole plan of sharing a little bit more about um family made this is an amazing company that we have partnered up with for the podcast and we're really really big fans of sean sean uh johnson God, did I say her name wrong? Sean Johnson? Is that even? Jeez, yeah. what is wrong with me? Sean, Andrew East and, and uh, Sean Johnson. Jeez. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it was, um, you know. Let me say, can I say that again? Sure. <laughs> I'm a little frazzled. Yeah. Well, um, but just to, just to wrap things up, but. Um, We're really big fans. What's her name? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, uh, you know, it. This was always something that I've never really been out outspoken about. It's something that I never really dug deep into or or brought people in. Um, but I do feel it's important to kind of document 
going through the recovery process off of this medication because there's there's really not a lot of information about it um you know and it's no telling what's going to happen but um i have a plan in place to get off of suboxone for good um I am happy about that. Extremely happy. Uh, anytime I think about being off of it, like it's just, it's, um, it's a euphoric feeling. Um, so I, I do want to, uh, kind of follow the process and I, I'll, I'll be able to, to document what that's like because, um, you know, I mean, I think even just for me, um, you know, from where I was and then where I will be. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So we're going to be sharing about his whole journey coming off Suboxone uh, on the podcast. And obviously, there's some steps in place, and we'll talk about them each week. And next week, we have some amazing guests on the podcast. Yes. Uh, we're super excited to have Sean Johnson and Andrew East. They are um, two of, of two of uh, one of I would say two two people that are amazing and some of my the favorite two people that I've spoke with um not just through the podcast but just you know through marriage and everything else like I just clicked with with Andrew uh and Sean and I love talking to them and I'm so happy to to be a part of our so happy to be a part of uh what they have going on with with Family Made yeah, so I don't know if you happen to notice, but our little logo says Family Made Presents because we partnered with them with their their company, Family Made, which is really amazing. And so we'll have them on the podcast next week. I mean, they're honestly such just down to earth, very chill, very smart, very fun, loving, encouraging parents, couple, you know, yeah. like just cool people. And we're pumped to be a part of their they're pretty amazing company. I mean, it's pretty, there's a lot of us a part of their company now. And so they have, I think they're going places and we're just along for the ride. Yeah. We, I mean, we are, we are so honored to even, uh, you know, be, uh, be thought of to yeah. join the network and, you know, we'll be definitely sharing more about family made and, um, you know, we're going to have some new friends, uh, and, and other couples and other shows that are part of the family made network. Uh, we're really, really, really excited and fortunate that, uh, that this have. I mean, it's such a blessing because you know, the message, everything that they stand for, um, you know, all about family, parenting, uh, couples, all of that. It's just, it's really, it's going to be such an amazing outlet for us. And so far, everybody that we've met that's been part of this has been unbelievably amazing and awesome. Yeah. So we're pumped to, to, to partner with them and to bring you along the ride. And thank you so much for, you know, truly to, to you listening right now. Thank you so much for loving and supporting both of us from yes. the very beginning, or maybe you just stumbled upon us now. I mean, honestly, having love and support in your life and encouragement, that's what we all need. And yeah. I don't think that we would be here without having so much of it ourselves from you. And we want to be able to give that back to you. You know, I hope that each week as you listen to the podcast or if you're on Instagram and you see our profiles or whatever it is, I hope that we're feeding you some love and encouragement right back because I'm telling you, you being there cheering us on, that we feel it and we're yeah. really thankful for you. And anything, I mean, nothing changed with the podcast in terms of uh, letting us know um, if you want certain topics to be brought up or people. Um, you know, that hasn't changed with us reading all the comments and the reviews and everything else. So we, we do appreciate the feedback and, uh, would love to know what, 
what you guys would want. Yeah, we have uh, you know, we haven't been sharing on our Hot Marriage Cool Parents Instagram page much because it's been obviously on break. But we are going to go back to utilizing that to be able to connect specifically with you who listen to the podcast, uh, just so we can. Uh, we really truly want to be able to serve you and feed you this love and encouragement and happiness and joy and be there with you, like you know, while you're running or on your car taking your kids <laughs> to school or whatever you know, whatever it is that you're or doing. Talking married at first sight and yeah. the seasons with couples and. You know, yeah, we, yeah so. we want to be there with you, and we're th- so thankful that you're here with us. And so, yeah, we will see you next week. <laughs> we'll see you next wow. week. My, sorry, my, this has been a heavy, heavy uh, time, but we're thankful you're here, and we will yes. see you next week. I'm sorry for sniffling so much. <laughs> I just want to say I love you. Love you. Bye. No, you. Oh, I love you. I love you. Yeah, and, and, and you. And we love you too. Yeah. You listening. All right. Bye.